0: Hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of The Publisher Lab. I am Tyler Bishop joining you once again and along, well, not alongside me, but you guys are used to it now, uh, Shelby King. Shelby, welcome back. Thank you. Another you got,
1: week, another podcast?
0: <laughs> yeah, and you you did one without me last week. How'd it go?
1: It went well. It's always nice to, not that I don't love doing the podcasts with you, but it's always nice to kind of have somebody new in and kind of have a little bit of change of pace
0: Sure, sure. So, let me get the lowdown on how uh, on a couple things from last week. So, um, did you guys get too far into uh, things related to the, the the coronavirus or or were you guys able to finally take a week off from that, or is it just kind of built into everything that that we're talking about still?
1: Actually, I don't think we really talked about the coronavirus last episode, and I don't actually think we're needing to talk about it this week either.
0: It's fascinating how how quickly things have shifted. I think it's still ever present in everything that we're working on and doing right now. But it is amazing how uh, all the news was related to that in our in our industry and space, or at least uh, painted with it. And now um, things we've got bigger fish to fry in many different uh, aspects of digital publishing. I would say
1: we certainly do. The first topic I want to talk about this week, I think will be an interesting one. It's from DigiDay. It's titled New Google Confirm Clicks Plan Could Depress Publisher Revenue. Um, so publishers are once again caught in the crosshairs of Google's quest to clean up the open web. So, over the past 6 months, more publishers using Google AdSense and Ad Exchange have complained about being penalized. By Google's confirmed clicks initiative. So, this initiative aims to improve user experience and limit publishers benefiting from people accidentally clicking on ads. Um, so, this initiative has been around since at least 2012. So, it basically means if Google detects a lot of accidental clicks on a publisher's ad unit, then it will layer a visit site message so users have to click twice to get redirected to that web page. So the additional barrier can deter people, leading to a drop in click-through rates and publisher ad rates. The result, according to a source for the story, is a drop in programmatic ad revenue of between 40 and 60%. So one publisher that was mentioned in the article was earning $10,000 a day through programmatic, and that dropped to $3,000 a day when they were penalized for accidental clicks. So the article says that publishers can fall foul to this by simple site mapping problems like when content shifts while loading, not enough space around the ads, or navigation overlapping on specific devices. So what's your take on this? Is this a real issue that a lot of publishers are having? I know the article mentioned that a lot of people don't want to talk about it because when they get penalized for this, they feel like they're kind of in the doghouse. I don't know, they don't want to talk about it with other people or what's your take on this?
0: So, I mean, this has been around for forever. I have a feeling that this is largely, um, so I saw some of the people quoted in it and I've also, um, I mean, this has been something that's literally popped up for three or four years. It's the Google double click or, you know, a uh, two click penalty. I mean, it's got a lot of different names depending on who's trying to optimize it and um, but yeah, it's been happening for a really long time. I know publishers dislike it. I think it's probably taking longer for them to be reviewed, but my guess is there was just a couple publishers that were recently hit that were maybe a little bit more vocal and somebody at Digiday probably picked up the story. Um, not realizing this is something that's actually been around for a long time. And, um, you know, one of the things that I, I would say is fairly, um, I, I would say that it exposes and publishers that, you know, typically get pretty upset about it is that you know the reason it exists is so to prevent accidental clicks so you all it's doing is it's forcing a user to click on an ad basically twice to to visit the advertiser so if that's resulting in a you know 70% loss in your revenue if you go from 10k to 3k what does that say about how you're actually generating uh, that ad revenue and uh, i i would i would argue that um, one of the things that you either passively are aware of um, and have allowed to happen for a long period of time is a certain amount of fraud. Um, not saying, you know, it's purposeful or actionable, but just kind of recognizing like something here might not be might be right. Um, and then also, uh, in some cases, maybe even knowingly so. Um, but either way, uh, it's something that we've been aware of for a really long time, and it affects a small portion of publishers every year. And yeah, I would say, the reason why you're probably hearing about it now is Google's probably not uh, reviewing them. There's still not, I mean, we've, I think we've written a blog about it a long time ago about how to actually um, make sure that you've done the things necessary to, to get out of it if you've been affected by it. But realistically, if um, you're impacted by it, there's no, there's no set way to basically go and say, okay, I fixed it. Please unmark my site for this, this feature, or whatever Google. So um, my guess is it's probably taking a lot longer right now.
1: Yeah, that was definitely one of the things that was kind of highlighted in that article too, is that um, especially since the payout is net 30, you don't really know whether you fixed it until, you know, a month later, and you can kind of see if you still got some things to work on. Um, All right, so the next topic I have on deck today is from Search Engine Journal, and it's about the future of AMP. So um, Google incentivized publishers to implement AMP, and if you don't know what AMP is, it's Accelerated Mobile Pages? Yes. Okay, Google incentivized publishers to implement AMP by a requirement for publishers that Want their articles featured in Google's prominent top stories carousel, but one of the recent announcements came out that Google plans to lift AMP requirements beginning in 2021. So publishers are kind of reevaluating whether resources are better spent optimizing to appear in the top stories section without AMP, or whether it's easier to kind of just continue maintaining the AMP versions of their pages. So. I wanted to kind of pick your brain on where you see that going in the future and what that's going to look like.
0: So, um, I mean, AMP, AMP in general is, as a user, I will say there's times whenever I, 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 I hate to admit this. I, I like it. I like it. Cause it, it does load fast but generally what i like is i like the apple reader version of the page which takes away a lot of things from a publisher it just gives you the content and and not very much else and uh amp kind of reminds me of that um but i really really hate everything about what google is doing in terms of like you click the result and google just takes you right to where on the page the information is uh as a user it seems like it's good but a lot of times you miss context and I think context is everything. And when you're talking about queries like this, Google is doing this because it doesn't feel like maybe it can get away with just like basically stealing the content and putting it in the SERP like they've done with uh, rich snippets and the knowledge graph for such a long time. So for me, I, I, I see this and I'm frustrated with it in two ways. One, I think it's just one Barely one step removed from Google, basically just um, scraping the internet's content and just giving it to people, uh, sans any, um, you know, credit to the publisher. And then the second is, then on top of all this, Google has released. You know, we talked about the Web Core Vitals and things like that here recently. Google is telling sites to optimize for the viewport of the user, but how? in the hell is a publisher supposed to optimize for the viewport when you have no idea what random place on the page Google is going to anchor that user in. So you might have a page that answers multiple queries. So how are you supposed to optimize the load for wherever Google is going to drop that user on your page? And I think that that is, it's, if you're a publisher right now, you have to look at Google kind of with your hands up in the air, just saying like, are you are you being serious right now? How can you do all these things um, and and basically speak out of both sides of your mouth? And the, the answer to that is none of these teams communicate with each other whatsoever. It's essentially every one of these departments at Google is a separate business, and they're completely non-coordinated. And it seems to have gotten worse as they've worked remotely here. They don't circumvent any of the other issues that others have remotely. So I would just say as, as a publisher, I, I understand the frustrations. I, I don't have great answers for you. The biggest thing that I would I would tell you at this point is to try to ignore the fact that it's frustrating and don't worry right now about trying to over-optimize around these features because if there's one thing that we know, um, and we can know this from AMP, um, is that Google will pivot off of things that ultimately are uh, basically non-starters for users over time or are largely ineffective. And while this does seem like something they are implementing more broadly, um, we've definitely seen them roll back things like this uh, over time. So um, maybe don't panic yet.
1: Yeah, that's definitely a good point. When I was asking the question of whether, you know, what the future of AMP will be like, I was like, well, it can't go away. I mean, Google has a whole team dedicated to AMP and we, we've met some of these people. And it's like, what happens to those people? So that's a good point that you make that there's um, a lot of separate teams and that there's kind of no communication. And it kind of just leaves publishers in the dust catching our heads. but. The next topic I have on deck is also from Digiday. I think all the topics this week are either Digiday or Search Engine Journal. Um, But this one is titled Spared for Now, Large Publishers Live in Fear of Amazon Commission Cuts. Um, So we talked about the commission cuts a couple months. I'm saying a couple months, but I think it's probably only about a month ago. But major publishers who do business with Amazon seem to be spared from these cuts Um, At least that's for now. So according to people familiar with the matter rates have remained the same for commerce publishers, including CNN's Understood, the New York Times Wirecutter, Vox Media, New York Magazine. So it turns out that high volume publishers typically have their own unique deals with Amazon, unlike the hundreds of thousands of other sellers or YouTubers or smaller websites and individuals who use Amazon's affiliate program. So the cuts have hit smaller affiliates harder than large publishers, which has gathered more than 18,000 people to sign a petition on change.org that that is requesting Amazon to change the rates back. So I just wanted to bring this up because I honestly didn't know about the different deals that go on with larger publishers. And it kind of just seems really unfair that Amazon would cut rates for everybody else besides large publishers.
0: So when I read the article, I was somewhat, uh, I guess, unfamiliar with the fact that Amazon had these types of relations with quote-unquote larger publishers. It's a very, very small number. Um, we've talked about this a bit before, but I don't see Amazon rolling this back for smaller or larger pro- publishers in terms of taking less commission or getting more strict in the way that they offer um, commissions to publishers that send traffic to their their platform. In fact, I don't know if you saw this or not this week, but Amazon is actually uh, offering publisher publishers basically their own CMS now where publishers can go in and write content like top five vacuums and stuff like that and actually, publish the content directly to Amazon. And, um, I, I find that fascinating too. I I think if you're a publisher and you're looking at that and you're like, Oh great. Amazon is going to send me traffic and I can make money off of, you know, products that people buy after clicking on my article. I think you've got to basically look at that and just say, you've got to avoid that trap. I mean, how many times have we heard this story, but don't give your content away. Um, especially to Amazon. But, yeah. So I would just say in, in general, large publishers, small publishers, everyone is going to continue to see Amazon probably get progressively aggressive in the way that they approach um, benefits for publishers. Realistically, all of this is Amazon competing with Google and you're going to see Amazon try to find more and w- more ways to um, basically circumvent Google search as a means of finding and buying products on Amazon. And they will use publishers for that for a while. Um, But ultimately, once they figure out the perfect system, they would love to find a way to cut publishers out completely.
1: All right, Um, so the last topic I have on deck is about Instagram. And they are saying that websites may need permission to embed posts. So site owners um, might need to get permission from Instagram users before embedding their posts on a web page. And this is according to a, a statement that Instagram has recently made. So Newsweek is currently being sued for copyright infringement by a photographer whose Instagram post was embedded on their site without permission. So the decisions made in this case could have long-lasting implications for site owners when it comes to using media uploaded to Instagram. Um, The interesting thing about this case with Newsweek is that Newsweek actually reached out to the photographer asking for permission to use one of their photos, but after being turned down, Newsweek instead embedded the photographer's Instagram post on their site. Um, So now they're being sued for it. But the publication defends its actions by saying, Permission isn't really required because the photo was embedded from Instagram rather than being uploaded directly. And in Instagram's terms and policies, all pictures uploaded, forego any licensings or rights with that. But it doesn't necessarily extend to embedded posts. Um, But yeah, I just thought this was interesting. It's kind of a newer thing. Embedding posts is definitely becoming a lot more popular. But
0: yeah, I mean, I think this is a really sticky area because I think you're seeing it Lifts its head in a lot of a lot of different places right now, both both domestically here in the United States and internationally. You're seeing um, these same questions be raised about Google and Facebook and Twitter um, as it relates to when people put content on these things and and where and sh- even share information from from a publisher or from you know even a writer. You know w- what to what degree is that content essentially not not owned by the platform or, um, who is the creator of that content? And if it lives on these platforms, is that an editorialization and then what responsibility does, you know, that platform have or the originator have in terms of its factfulness in terms of, um, their rights and the, uh, the, I guess the ability to extract revenue from that content. So I I think that this is an area that we're going to see actually get more, complex and maybe even be something that is the crux of some of the antitrust legislation that's being levied against some of the, the major parties in the space.
1: Um, that's actually all the topics that I've got going on this week. Um, is there anything you wanted to add in?
0: No, I, I think we've touched on a lot of the things that I found, you know, pretty interesting going throughout the week. And, you know, one of the things that I do find um, is positive news for publishers is we are seeing. Uh, the last few weeks, there's been a rally in the stock market. Uh, (laughs) I'm not going to try to be an expert on the market, nor am I going to try to comment on just like the weird fluctuations and and that sort of thing. So I'll steer clear of that. But I will share that um, you are starting to see advertisers talk about coming back and spending money as retail locations and things like that start to open back up. And you see, you know, a lot of tech businesses. I mean, I hate to say it, but Amazon, Facebook, Google, Apple, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google. Yeah, that's the big four. Um, they all have the highest stock price they've ever hit in history um, earlier this week. So, I look at that and I, I think you know these these platforms, despite the economy itself, uh, still. I mean, they they've definitely gained power and grown in this. But there, are, you could say the same thing about all large brands and good, bad um, ugly, doesn't matter. Um, those, those large organizations and brands are the ones that are spending large amounts of money in digital advertising. And I think this is going to expedite the shift, um, to, to more digital spending. And I'm not the only one saying this, you're seeing this a lot of places. So I think if you are a publisher, um, I think even though this industry has been hit hard by, uh, the pandemic and a lot of the, uh, I guess, economic fallout from it, I do think that um, we'll be one of the first ones to recover because of the nature of digital.
1: Yes, that's something to look forward to, for sure. Um, Is there anything else you're looking forward to in terms of just the world kind of opening up again or the U.S. opening up again?
0: You know, I've admit I've been going to restaurants again uh, as things have opened up here where we're at uh, in San Diego, California, and I really missed being able to eat food in a restaurant When you take food out, it's just not the same. Um, So I I really missed, I really missed that. And uh, I had um, had Italian food at one of my favorite places here in San Diego, and there's just no other way I could have had that, and I just super missed it. So uh, it's more just appreciating something that I I had dearly missed. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited that I've got that again. But in in the grand scheme of things, it's just you know. We all have our little personal things that I think we we enjoy and, and we get out of life. And hopefully all of us can be more thankful because of noticing just how trivial some of these things can really be.
1: Yeah. At this moment in time, it's definitely about the little victories.
0: So what about you? Is there anything as a result of kind of things, let's just say they're on the upswing um, that you're looking forward to or anything that you're particularly excited about?
1: Well, some more national parks are starting to reopen. I know Yosemite is planning to open up um, in July, I believe, or at least they're opening up soon. So that's definitely kind of bringing a smile on my face. So I'm excited, hopefully, to at least visit one or two national parks sometime this year.
0: Awesome. Well hopefully all of our listeners are having a chance to enjoy something uh that they've maybe missed out on over the past few weeks or months and if you're a digital publisher which if you're not i don't know why you're probably listening to this podcast but either way um we hope that you continue to see success with your properties and um, let us know if you have questions or if there's anything in particular you'd like us to dive in deep Deeper on, uh, you can visit us at uh, publisherlabpodcast.com and submit questions or follow along in a lot of different ways. Thank you all for joining us on another episode of The Publisher Lab.